This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Pete? Hello there. How are you, mate? I'm very well. How are you, my friend? I'm very well. You feel like recording a podcast? I'd love to. If you do, I will. (laughs) All right. Well, mate, uh, I'm ready, uh, willing and able. This week, our special guest is Marie-Claire Boothby. Hello, Marie-Claire. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. And thank you to all the listeners that will be listening in. Uh, we've got a few, uh, just a few, but uh, it's growing in number. Thanks to um, uh, our two Peters. I've got to acknowledge the presence of Peter Kafkas in the studio today. Hi, Peter. <laughs> I think so, we also probably uh, need, just very quickly need to acknowledge the slight transformation that we've made this week, Leon. Uh, what was that, mate? Well, in a digital sense, we've sort of got all our ducks in a row and we've set ourselves up properly for social media and, you know, being contactable outside of whatever we were doing before. And Mr. Kafkas is largely responsible for that. But That's right. Um, Professor, big shout out to you over there. Thank you very much for all your help. <laughs> got followers joining every every hour at the moment, which is great. So you, you, you may well have some listeners, MC, for this one. That would be wonderful. I did see your live video today. That was very good on your page. So well what, what, what was it? Tell me. I didn't see it. <laughs> so Peter came on. Did, Peter Gowers came on and did a live video telling everybody what was going to be happening today, and that he was going to be interviewing me with yourself. Is that right? Yeah, and uh, basically put a call out for listeners to ask any questions that they would like put to me. Right. So I thought that was very well done. Wow. Very social media study. Of Mate, that is uh, getting far too professional for uh, for, for for my blood. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I took my medicine last week that was dished out by the professor and um, decided to pull my finger out and get with the real world. <laughs> right, right. So did we get any interesting questions? I'm not going to ask them just yet, but did we? Uh, yeah, we, we actually did. We've got a couple. So I'll, I'll, um, I'll save those till later, depending on how many thousands of questions you ask, Leon. Okay, okay. Well, let's start the podcast, sure. Marie-Claire, with your territory story. Sure. So you just want me to launch into whatever yeah. I'd like to talk about? Uh, your territory story. So how did you end up in the territory? Okay. But before that, yes. where were you born and your life story effectively? Yeah. Okay, sure. So my territory story started in the territory because I was born here in Darwin. Wow. In 1977. Right. After Cyclone Tracy. After Cyclone Tracy, that's right. right. Uh, My parents uh, moved here just before Cyclone Tracy. They were married in Mount Isa and lived there, decided to travel around Australia, like many people do, ended up in Darwin and pretty much stayed here (laughs) right up until now, and they're still here now. Right, right. Yes, we've heard that sort of story before many times. And so what did did your parents do? So my dad is a carpenter. Mm-hmm. He's retired now, but he was a carpenter for very for a long time. Yeah. And my mum was, uh, I guess, a secretary or an administrator back then. Okay. I can't even remember what she was doing before I was born. Sorry, mum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so then in 77, as I said, I was born. And uh, not long after, I had a sister. Right. So she too was born in the old Darwin Hospital, like myself. And we were raised in the northern suburbs. Mum and Dad built a house out there. Which suburb? 
in Nakara. Right, yeah. right. When we mm. first were born, they had a caravan. Mm-hmm. And then because my dad was a carpenter and uh, somewhat of a builder as well, he just um, made a lot of friends in Darwin and together they all built the house, which yeah. my parents still live in today. Yeah. So that's where we grew up. Um, I guess if I think about, let's go through some, I guess, milestones if you like. In, uh, let me think, primary school, we went to Nakara Primary School. And thinking back now, it's sort of like hindsight, where I remember being a bit of a teacher's pet. (laughs) And so I was the one (laughs) would always ask to do all those tasks, you know, the tasks that either nobody else wants to do, or in hindsight, probably the things that the teacher could rely on me to do. Right. So I was asked to do those sorts of things all the time. And yeah, I think um, whilst that might have been a bit embarrassing at the time, it kind of is how it is today as well. And what I found just, I'll probably jump around a bit here if that's okay, but what I found is that has taken me through to my uh, my personal, sorry, professional life as well, my career. And what I tell younger people these days is if you can find the jobs in a position that nobody else wants to do, especially your boss, mm. then you are going to go far. You're going to get go places because that is what people don't want to do and they will obviously reward you if you do those things that they don't want to do. Right. So what's your sister's name? Melinda. Melinda right. Boothby. So, and so how did you get the name Murray Clay? Was it after the magazine? Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it came out after I was born. Um, so, mum tells me that there was a song by Peter Starse back in the 60s that she really loved, uh, and it was called Where Do You Go To, My Lovely, and it has my name in it once. We know that song. I mean, that's a new song, isn't it? No. No, it's an back old one? Back in the 60s, yeah. In what? fact, when I have talked to people about it, they don't know it. Some of the people that are around my parents' age probably do know it, but yeah, you should look it up. It's actually quite a beautiful song. Who, sing, who sings it? I know that line. Who sings that beat? You're the, you're the DJ. Do you yeah, I was going to say, the, this, it's the, sort of like the 60s a are... sort of version. I wasn't quite no. born at that time, Leon, and um, <laughs> despite my 30 years of DJ experience, it's not a song I've come across, but uh, right. I'll now I'll be looking it up. We'll Google it, yeah. Okay, but can I yeah. just segue for a second, yeah, yeah, because definitely. we're talking about songs, right? I don't know if you, <laughs> and I know Pete's a big fan of music trivia. Okay. Okay, <laughs> so you must have heard the song Killing Me Softly. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Do you know the original version, Roberta Flack? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Pete, are you with me here or is that too mushy for you? Yeah. Right. No, no, I love that song. I like the Fuji's version the best. I do okay. too. I was yeah. going to say the right. Fuji's version. So everyone knows the Fuji's version, but if you're sort of yeah. older than 40, then you remember In recent one. time. Yeah. Now, yeah. I just discovered the other day. Um. <laughs> Facebook. What? Who, who, no, no. Who, <laughs> who, who that song was about? Because oh. if you remember the line, you know, ah. you know, um, he's yeah, killing himself with his song. He's with his, yeah. with his song, and he kept on trying playing, blah blah blah. Yeah. Do you know who he is in that song? No, I tell if me. I told you, you guys would just not believe it. Okay. It is Don McLean. Oh wow! Oh really? From American Pie fame, yeah. Wow. Um, there was a really interesting article uh, written in the paper about that um, because there was a bunch of hoo-ha because the, the lady that um, actually came up with the idea for that song, whose name I can't remember right now, she was quite a, 
she wasn't as famous as Roberta Fleck, but she was she was okay. But she she was going through a real tumultuous time because she was having an affair with her um, uh, uh, producer, the the music, the, the the songwriter, oh. right? And uh, it was also a producer. It's a bit like, uh, yeah. Anyway, so um, she went along to this concert, Don McLean, and Don McLean was singing a song called "Empty Chairs." Okay. Right. So you can go back and look mm-hmm. that up and listen to it on Spotify mm-hmm. if you want. And she was just astounded that that whole song was basically her life. So she, at the end of the concert, she what? rang up this producer guy. And she said, this is what happened. And he wrote the song uh, together with another guy. Mm. And, and she has never had any credit for that song for the oh, entire time. Oh, really? Right? Wow. And so, yeah, let me just go. I'll, I'll, I found it fascinating. Oh, well, I because, really hope that comes up in trivia tonight. Yeah, so well, because you're doing well. It's a great song. I've always loved that song. Um, yeah. And... Uh, to finally find out it was about Don McLean, my God, it just blew me away. But anyway, <laughs> apologies go. for that segue, but Pete, there you go. You can add that to your thing. So Yeah, thank you. thank you. Oh, yes. Good memory. I wasn't sure what we were talking about. Right. Um, <laughs> a couple of years younger than you? Yeah, one year. Exactly. Yeah. And one year younger. That's right. Uh, exactly, did you say? Not yeah, 14 months. So. Right, yeah. right. And she same personality, or she's not no. the pet, not the teacher's pet. No, <laughs> chalk and cheese, chalk and cheese, definitely. Right. Um, she's yeah, she's amazing. We have a really good relationship. Uh, we call it Boothby World, where the the things that we talk about in our family, right. nobody else really gets. And I think a lot of families are like that. So it's right. pretty special. Uh, she now runs a she has her own business, where she teaches children how to ride horses okay. out of her property. Right. So yeah, that's pretty special as well. And where's that? The first. It's at her home. Out in the rural area, which is where in Humpty Doo. Humpty Doo, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah okay. So, so yeah, that's pretty special. Um, that's been a dream of hers for a very long time, ever yeah. since she was little. Um, yeah. She's been in the horse world for a very long time. Right. Yeah. And so you went to Nakara Primary. We did. All right. And then when you finished that, what did you do? Went off to Dripstone, Dripstone High School. Dripstone High School, right? That's right. Uh, which was a pretty interesting time, actually. I guess um, a lot of high school stories uh, sometimes not as great as what you'd like it to be but um the school was fantastic but I do remember and again this is in hindsight looking back and remembering that we actually had a a kid at our school who committed suicide and so we were only 12 13 14 years old at that time and And he was that age he was our age it was only the three grades eight nine and ten back then in dripstone and was it because of bullying and stuff like that or something else? well and who would really know exactly which is really tricky yeah Yeah, but but then see the thing is back then that was so rare like we as a group of kids at that age had never experienced this before and to be honest i didn't know him very well but it stuck with me. Yeah. It's something that, and the reason yeah. why I stuck with me, I think, is not just because of, of the young man who took his life, but because of this, the people that were in our school who then, we just all sort of stuck together. Mm. And I felt like I, I was a bit of one of those people that I was friends with everybody. Like we had our little groups and things, but a lot of people would come and talk to me about things that were going on in their heads and what they were feeling. And so, yeah, that was really uh, a time where you grew up really quickly. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I just wanted to share that because I guess as part of it, you know, who sh- what shapes you the way yeah, you yes, are today. Yes. Some of those stories well, are, are what you remember. And so, what, 
how did you go at school? Were you went all the way to year twelve, or you finished at year ten? Yeah, no, I went to year twelve, right. and I just I decided not to finish <laughs> right. <laughs> right at the right at the end of year twelve. I I found myself with a a job, yeah. um, part time working in a local takeaway shop, yeah. and I uh, decided that it was much more fun earning money, money yeah. <laughs> than it was to keep studying. Yeah. Um, I ended up becoming, um, I guess, a supervisor of that that takeaway shop. And yeah, again. And where was that? That was in Parap. I don't know okay, if you remember yes. it. It was called Parap Plucked. I remember Parap the name. <laughs> it was really quite fun. Alan's version of Red Rooster? <laughs> it, it was original version, that's right. Um, and Love it was, it. funnily enough, owned by a former politician called Ray Hanrahan. I know, I bet him. He used to be a real estate agent, didn't he? Uh, for a while there, yeah, yes. Yeah, yes yeah. yeah, so I wasn't in, uh, into politics yeah. back then. I had no idea, but very interesting when I look back in my life, the amount of people I've come across that I didn't sort of make the connection earlier. How close was that to Neville's shop, the Perhaps Fine Foods? Just down the bit. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. so I believe um, it's kind of, you know where this uh, Oka uh, sushi is? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. This uh, takeaway shop was pretty much next door to that. Right, right, yeah. right. Okay. Different clientele so I would have thought, Leon. What was that, mate? Different clientele I would have thought, Leon. What? Oka sushi? No, the perhaps fine foods to the Plucker Duck shop. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they used to call it. Plucker Duck. Yeah. Actually, that, even that story of how I got that job was really interesting. I, um, I as I said, I wanted to leave school and, and work, but I... I called them up because they had just started, I saw an ad where they just started doing home delivery yeah. and I thought, oh, there's a spot there. Maybe I should ring them and say to them, look, can I be the person that answers the phone for you? Because yeah. I thought that would be a nice cruisy job, something that they need. Yeah. And it was Ray that answered the phone and he said, can you come in straight away? Like, I can, <laughs> so I can interview you. Sure. So I, I Nothing's my, changed. No. So I drove my car and I was only 16, mm. drove my car um, to Parapluck and he, I walked in the door and he said to me, you're starting straight away. There's the phone. And he, <laughs> I, like, I just literally jumped in. Yeah. And then he said to me, oh, look, the phones aren't busy. Go and, you know, wash the dishes and get the chicken out of the oven. And so I just ended up doing everything on the day, the first day. Mm-hmm. And then I was there for, I guess, 12 months, which is for a young kid. That's a long time. But that, that's just Darwin <laughs> in a Darwin, nutshell, yeah. isn't it? It's just, you know, you just walk down the street and it, it, the same thing happened to me as well, but, yeah. but not at the like a duck <laughs> but it's, it's great life yeah, experience it really yeah. is and you know you're working with a i was probably one of the youngest working with a couple of other older teenagers yeah. and yeah again it shapes who you are yeah so you're, you're there for 12 months i think so roughly it's yeah, hard to remember exactly but from there i went on to work with my mum actually so my mum uh owned a debt collection business right in the city Okay, yeah, wow. so that's something close to our heart here. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And Ooh. so I went there, and um, it, it's funny because I used to call my mum Christina, which is her name, yeah, uh, because I didn't want all the other staff to think that she was what? my mum really? and I'd be a pet again. Right, see? right. But again, I was doing all the jobs that nobody else wanted what to do. What was the name of the debt collection business? George Lawrence. I've heard of that too. Yeah, it was many yes, years ago now. Yes. 
so so yeah my mum owned that with a couple of other partners and I won't go into all the details because I know it's still quite sensitive for some people but it, it didn't end well right it was, it was uh, ended up being a really hard experience for both my parents right. who were involved yeah. and, and I was only a teenager so late teens at right. that time did you man the phones yes and did you make those calls Yes. And as a so 18, 19-year-old, how, how did you do that? Yeah. Like, you just learn on the go, mm. like the chicken shop. Yeah. I just picked up the phone. We had a, you know, a bit of a chat about what to say. We had lists and lists of people to call, yeah. and it was chasing up uh, all sorts of things, like uh, old power bills, phone bills, council rates, like any kind of bill you can think of, yeah. we would be collecting that. Right. So yeah, there was a lot of work involved, and you, I just, I just did it. You're right. Yeah. And that was, and so you did that for a few years, and then the, the business then broke the business, up. Yeah. And then so, what did you do then? Um, so just quickly on that, that, that was, I guess, another thing that shaped who I was because it went sour. Uh, my parents were bringing that home, and, and I was talking through with my mum and dad about this, and the hardship that they went through. As a teenager, there's nothing really that you know what you don't know what to do. There's nothing mm. you can do. Yeah. So watching them go through that pain and suffering is, and I guess we'll get to it shortly. But that's again why I do what I do today. Right. So yeah. And so what mm. happened after that? So after that, I left there and went and um, oh, I went and worked at a business called Air Power, which was yes, I've heard of that too. Yeah, yeah. part owned by uh, a, a gentleman called Peter Rao, who's now passed on, but yeah. also part owned by Alan Langworthy. Yes, that's right. That's the part. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, so I actually came across him not long ago, and I reminded him that I used to work there, and yeah, we had a nice chat about Peter, which was great because right. he's passed on. So now. did Peter have a son called Grant? That's the one. Yeah, okay, yes. right. Yeah. I'm not sure if Grant's still there or not, to be honest. I don't know. Right. Well, Alan Langworthy was quite a, a, an entrepreneur, wasn't he? And, yeah, definitely. Yeah. He has, and I believe still does, quite a few other biz, business interests. Right. So, yeah, we didn't get to know him all that well. He wasn't really involved in the air power side of the business, right. but definitely Peter Rao. So. And what did air power actually do? They used to sell compressors and parts oh, and things okay. for trucks and anything construction-related. So, yeah, we when I first started, there were all these few really long names of equipment that I had to learn and supplies that, that I'd never heard of before. So again, you just jump in and just, and actually funny enough, I was collecting the debts there too. Right. I was, in, I was uh, in the debtors, we had a creditors lady and a debtors lady and I was a debtors lady. Right, right. And I had to create a few systems actually to get that under control, uh, which was, yeah, fabulous experience. Right. And so um, how long did you do that for? Uh, so that one was probably about 12 months as well, I think, Right. if I can remember correctly. This is going back a long time, yeah. Leon. Um, so then after that, I applied for a job which was in the paper, and it was for a business at the time called the Insurance and Superannuation Shop. Right. And that was owned by a family, uh, Andy Hills. I'm not sure if you remember no. that name. Yeah. He's not in Darwin anymore. But uh, So I went and I got the job and started working there. It was in a very small office in the city. And my job was filing and answering the phones. And there was four people, I think, that worked with us, four or five. Yeah. Uh, and not long after that, that business merged with another business, mm -hmm. which was owned by John Barry, who is also quite a well-known Darwin local. Okay. Uh, he worked uh, with OAMPS for a long time. I'm not sure if you know. Yes, I've heard of OAMPS. Yeah. yeah, which mm -hmm. is now Arthur Gallagher. Arthur Gallagher. So those two businesses merged. So we ended up... Um, with a staff of about 15, wow. I think, That's, and yeah. 
And I guess at the merge, like I only just started a few months in and started getting more and more responsibilities yeah. and, again, doing the jobs that no one else wanted to do. Yeah. And I worked my way up in and doing all sorts of roles within that business, learnt a lot, uh, did a lot of administration, started doing some study to become a power planner, which mm-hmm. is the technical side of financial advice. Yep. Did that for a while. Then I was made a supervisor of a team yep. um, and then uh, ended up being the office manager as well. And not long, felt like not long into it, uh, the uh, there was a few mergers and things, a few changes of ownership. So there's lots of, sort of a partnership that was formed. And yeah. it was at that time where I bought in and became a partner of that business. Right. So there was, it did change over the time, but uh, it, it ended up being six of us planners, oh, sorry, five planners and myself who yeah. were in that business. Right, yeah. right. And I was there for 18 years. 18 years. That's right. right. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And so from there you went to Alex or? So that's Alex's business. So, right. yeah, Alex that's Brown is right. one of the owners of All Financial Services, which is, and that was part of the, when I said there was some mergers and changes in ownership. Right. Uh, Alex was one of those mergers that joined with the group. Right. And so that, and that's where I met him, which yeah. was, he joined probably about 12 months after I did, okay. around about that time. Right. So, yes. And, and so your job there was office manager, but also paraplanner? So, yeah, there was it changed over the years. Yeah. And so I did quite a few different roles within that business. Uh, most of the time I spent there was uh, as a general manager, mm-hmm. and that was reporting directly to Alex Brown, who mm-hmm. was, he was still the CEO of mm-hmm. that business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in some time had gone past and then the business um, became a part of, sorry, AMP, yeah became a part owner of that business. So then my role changed slightly where I was reporting not only to a CEO, but to a board as well. Right. And we grew to about 22 staff. And then we had the global financial crisis, which affected all of us terribly and all of our clients. It was a really tough time. A lot of tears from not only staff, but clients as well. Mm. Uh, We needed to downsize to ride with that wave, uh, which we did. And... I think um, it's a credit to the team and we, we just all pulled together to get through that. And uh, it certainly, again, <laughs> shapes who you are today when you go through those tough times. And I think I've made some lifelong friends from it, from the experience, clients included. Like I, I still, even though I haven't been there now for three years, I still see clients often and right. I stop and chat and they ask me about the kids and, yeah, it's really wonderful. Right. And family-wise? What happened during that period? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so what happened with my family? I, during that time, I guess AFS was my family, all yeah. financial services, but I did have uh, two children right. as well. I've got John T and Kobe, who is nine and six. Right. And... And your husband, John? Yeah. yeah, so John and I aren't together anymore. Right. So we separated about 12 months ago. Okay. It's really amicable, though. Yeah. He's a great guy. He is a great, great dad. Yeah. Oh, you know yes, him well. Yes. Um, he's, you've been a client of his, yes, in his business. And he is fantastic. So we just decided that we weren't going to be together anymore. It's very amicable. In yeah. fact, he's very supportive. He's a fantastic father. So really um, happy with that situation. And so is he. Uh, but yeah, so I'm. We share the uh, care of our children. How old are the boys? Nine and six. Nine and six. Yeah. Right. Okay. So and they love it. They 
they get the best of everything because they have both of us and we we both put them first. They yeah. are our priority and everything else revolves around that. Yeah. So it's a really great relationship. And where do they go to school? So they go to, good, to school at Good Shepherd okay, in Palmerston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, what is it, year one and year five Right, now? right, yeah. It so goes by quickly. It does. <laughs> and they're probably a bit like most siblings. They are very different. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, right. One is very uh, intellectual and, uh, I mean, he's a statistician. He's going to be a, a sports commentator like Bruce McAvaney for sure, really right. good with numbers. And um, Kobe, who's the youngest, he's going to be some sort of construction worker. He just Like loves... his granddad. <laughs> yes. <You're right. laughs> yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah. Carpenter, that's right. Yeah. In fact, he loves going around to their house because he says, I'm going out to the shed with Papa because we're going right. to go build stuff. So, right. yeah, it's really fabulous. All oh, right. Okay. And so 18 years there, yes. when did you start to get interested in politics? Yes. So in 2016, I I received a text message from a friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Peter Kafkas knows this story. <laughs> and it said um, that the CLP was looking for someone to run in Palmerston and, and I should go for it. And I called her straight away and I sort of, we sort of had a chuckle because she knew and I knew that I'd never really paid attention to politicians before. I used to watch them on the news and think, oh, yeah, well, here we go again. And... <laughs> I just thought that government ran itself. I didn't realise how much was involved. So after having a, a bit of a chat to her and the the plant, the seeds were planted then mm. and I started to take a bit more notice about what was happening in the news and I I met Leah Fanocchiaro. Right, right. And a long story short, she changed the way that I view politics and politicians because she is an absolute machine. She cares so much about the people that she represents and she fights for them um, intensely and she just goes and goes and goes and brings everybody else, you know, under her wing with her. She taught me so much about politics. Uh, But anyway, I guess going back to uh, how I really got involved was I decided to go for pre-selection and stand in an election. And the reason why I did that was because there was only six weeks to go until the election and they didn't have anybody to stand. So I did apply and uh, I was successful. Mm. So then I did a six-week campaign of door knocking and... How was that? Just missed out. How how was the door... Because, I mean, that's always sort of very daunting, isn't it? Sort of just to run... I mean, some people find it easy, but I think most of most of us would be horrified at the thought of knocking on a stranger's door. And yeah, how how did you find that part of it? Uh, well, it, it is daunting at first. Yeah. But I've done quite a bit of it now, so I really enjoy it. I think there is something about getting to know someone that you've just met, and I, I'm an extrovert, so I tend to want lots of people around me and so meeting somebody on the door for the first time introducing myself and they just they they look at you and they're like oh I'm so glad you're here and then they just tell you things that are going on in their lives and it's quite amazing so I really enjoy that part of it um Pete do you have any questions about door knocking because I've got a few more (laughs) yeah yeah I want to. I want to hear the tough stuff. How many times do you get the door slammed in your face, MC? <laughs> um. So the first time I did it a few years back, I definitely had a few that were slammed in my face. Uh, they yeah. they didn't know me, 
Uh, it wasn't yep. about that. It's just that um, that's the way it is. Uh, this time around, not so much. It's been um, quite positive and, and everybody does want to have a chat. So uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, the, the, the tough What's stuff. What's your opening is, line? <laughs> my opening line, I introduce myself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I just introduce myself. Uh, um, and, uh, and that's enough to get them chatting. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that's good. Actually, Leon, I knocked on your door once. Did you? You don't remember? This was the last time. Yeah. Yeah. You got past the security I guards, think, didn't yeah, you? I do. Actually, I do remember because you gave me the is it a calendar or something or some magnet. I gave, well, I would have probably gave you a brochure with my contact details yes, on yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. So yes. Leon opened the door yeah. and let me in and had a good chat. So I, I, must, <laughs> I must segue, I must segue I, here, right? I, I have to say, sorry, yes. Pete. I have to segue yeah. here. So <laughs> I'm telling my kids the other day, this is probably a couple of weeks ago, Close the gate because I don't want, you know, un, uninvited people into the house, okay? Yeah. And I said, especially um, <laughs> the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? I'm going to say it, right? I'm not joking, Pete. I am not joking. Two seconds later, there's a knock on the door. Right? Leon. What? Do you know I was there? Oh, were you there? Said, and I said to you, Leon, how many times have you seen their bikes in your street? There's no way they're coming here, mate. There's not <laughs> enough houses per square kilometre here. It was just unbelievable. Just, just it was as though it. he timed it. It was unbelievable. You really should stop and <laughs> chat. They're probably really hot walking around. That, look, and I... I you know what? I wouldn't mind, except that the chat is going to go for a long time. True. Right? I've done it before. Yeah. My yeah. parents have done it. That's how I learned. Yes. yes. <laughs> and that's the part that, you know, it's just a bit too hard for me to sort of handle. But uh, you're not unlike most people. Right. Yeah. So, um, so Pete was asking you about the, the lines. Any, any other questions about those things, Pete? Because I've got a question about dogs. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, um, although some some of the time we are invited, um, but I guess as a real estate agent, you sort of get used to that turning up to a stranger's house, knocking on the door, and you just never know what you're going to discover. I remember one day uh, I went to a house near Rapid Creek Markets, and uh, it was a referral from a friend, and they said, oh, look, this person has to sell. They have to sell really quickly, but you know, you need to go around, talk to them, explain the process and get to know them. And what they didn't tell me was that this person was a hoarder and I've never seen a house quite like it. So what have you seen, MC, that you can't unsee now? Do you know, I feel like such a human being after I've been door knocking on any given day because when I see people's homes they are exactly like mine yeah <laughs> some days they're neat and other days they're not uh, and and some people say oh sorry about the mess and i say you yeah, it's fine i have two children i know exactly what it's like this house looks great it, so mm. I, I actually don't have any horror stories like that uh -uh. although i did knock on peter kafka's door once too <laughs> <laughs> i was there the other day <laughs> 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 leon 
just ignore the mess in the house, right? I'm going to get in trouble with Lauren because I was supposed to clean the house up, but this is more important. <laughs> and, cl and clothing's optional. <laughs> I have had most people with clothes on, which has been good. Yes. <laughs> that explains a lot for Darwin, yeah. especially in the wet season. Yeah, true. Uh, right. um, so dogs, how do you do deal with dogs? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I, dogs are there for a reason. A lot of people have dogs because they're uh, a pet and they are very loved as a family member, but they're also really good guard dogs. So when I do walk down the street, they do bark. And there are certainly some streets that have more dogs than others. But I don't mind. I think you get used to it as well. Like you'd really, you don't, you know that they're there for a reason and they're often very cute. Like, we, we sort of talk about what sort of breeds they are to, you know. Oh, so you wait for the owners to come to the fence? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't actually sort of wander in? Oh, no, no. So, no, no. That's what I, I meant. I don't go inside a gate. If it's a locked gate or a closed gate, I don't enter. And you've never had a situation where a dog has sort of accidentally wandered out because the owners left the gate open? Oh, I've never actually come across that, although I have heard stories of other people that's had that, that challenge um, in even other industries. So... Yeah, no, I haven't had that problem, which is great. I mean, every now and again, you'll be walking past and then a dog will be at the front fence and you won't even know it and they'll just be barking at you and you do kind of take your breath, like, <gasps> take yes, breath away. Yes. But, um, no, that's that's probably the, the worst thing, which is not that bad at all. Right. And so you're there um, talking to people. What are you talking to them about? So I don't do a lot of talking, to be honest. Yeah. They do all the talking and the things that come up are what's on their mind right now and... I find that the common themes are that people aren't happy with the state of youth crime at the moment. Okay, what suburbs are we talking about here? So we're talking about in Palmerston. Yeah. And we're talking about Gunn, Farrow, Bakewell and a section of Roseberry. So, and all I've done... And what seat is that? This is called Brennan. Brennan, okay. So yeah. this is a different seat to the seat that you ran previously? That's right, yeah. Okay. That's right. Because before, when I ran last time, I didn't have a choice. Yeah. It was the only option available at that time, yeah. very last minute. Um, but this time, I've um, like I've been in Palmerston 10 years. Yeah. And, and do you live in any of those suburbs? Yeah, so I live um, just outside of that in, in Palmerston. So and you know what Palmerston's like. Yeah. It's, it's a small country town, really. There's yeah. 38,000 people. You, you know, you, you literally live on next to each other all yeah. the time yeah. so okay. yeah so i'm renting a house just um in johnston at the moment oh yeah johnston yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. right next to farrow and right next to gun so yeah. so yeah i um in terms of what they talk about mm. is yeah again common themes because some people do bring up other things as well mm. but the common themes are definitely youth crime mm. people feel like um that the offenders continue to get away with things over and over and they're really concerned by that a lot of them have their own personal experiences of problems in their own homes in their own backyards you know cars being stolen um people being either abused or even assaulted at bus stops mm. and things like that and that's really devastating to hear those stories um, and, I mean, really, the things you see on social media, that's no different to what I hear on the doors. Right. It's exactly the same. So it is it is really um, tough out there and, and people are telling me they want change. Mm. And then the second thing that is also raised is the state of our economy. So they, 
often I'll be door knocking on a day and there'll be they have something in the press that said that another business is closed, closed down and so they want to talk about that. They say, why is this happening? Um, you know, someone's just been made redundant or I'm sick of this, I'm going to leave, uh, which obviously affects our population because people are leaving. There's a lot of empty homes now when mm. I walk the streets, mm. uh, which is equally sad so it's really those two things the economy and crime and that is what people are saying that they want changed Mm. pete remember when we spoke to athena yep um she had a bit of a different view on the crime thing didn't she yeah she did and and we sort of took her to task to it a little bit because you know she was talking about figures that you and i thought were verging on you know, unacceptable in terms of reoffending rates and, you know, these diversion things that they do. But, you know, the fact that's come out of that, and, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, um, MC. So, you know, we, we said to her, well, hang on, you, you just can't have these people reoffending time and time again, and you can't have people walking the streets at all times of the day and the night. And, you know, what what's going to be done about this? And, she raised a really interesting point and she said that there are kids out there now who are known to police and you know whether they've committed crimes or not some have some haven't that's irrelevant but the the policy I'll call it I don't think don't know if that's the right word or not but the the accepted policy is that it is safer for those children to be walking the streets at 5am or 2am or whatever times they're out than it is for the police to scoop them up and take them home. Their homes are more dangerous for them than being on the streets on their own, regardless of their age. And I I literally quoted that point to someone the other day, that it floors me that that can be possible in this day and age. Who was it that said that, Peter? The Mayor of Palmerston. So it was the Mayor of Palmerston who used those words Yep, that was because I, I said what the police have said. So the police have said I said that. yes, because we said to her, "You're kidding, right?" She she said, "No, that's that's the official stance. Is these children are knowingly left on the streets, possibly even monitored by the patrol, you know, various patrols of the night, but it is it is the policy for them not to be taken home." And that's really sad, and it's not good enough. No. How do you deal with that? So parents need to take responsibility. It is my understanding that at this stage they don't need to appear in court with their their children. And I believe that they should be in court with those children. So a, a parent or a guardian of some description needs to take that responsibility as well. But the parent so, yeah, is that. But more so than that, the, the youth offenders, there should be a community service at a minimum for every single offence. Mm. But Pete's saying exactly what I'm thinking. Go ahead, Pete. The, the, yeah, the, the problem is this is generational. A- and the parents aren't going to go to court. They're, they're probably in court themselves in some cases. But they're the problem because they're not parenting the kids in the first place. They're inactive as parents. Hmm. So the other, um, the other, sorry, mm-hmm. we just got distracted by 
the professor. Can you, sorry, can you say that again? Oh, the, no, you're going back to the um, generational. So the, yeah. and I don't really want to talk about um, policies or platforms, but what I can talk about today is is another one of the commitments that has been um, brought forward by Leah Fanocchiaro, which is our opposition leader. And she has said that um, what she would like to see and a commitment to Territorians is, if elected, that uh, the youth... Youth justice will be put back into corrections and removed from territory families because territory families need to be the ones who are supporting and looking after the families. And uh, in the main, and that is, you know, the majority of people that need support. Mm. And then corrections, which is a very separate issue, is who can look after and work with the the youth, uh, the youth and the, the justice issues that are going on there. Mm. It's all it's all highly charged, very political. It is. Um, you know, we're just we're just I guess I guess we you know we're just residents or, or observers in all of this, and it's just so frustrating because uh, you, you know you hear these stories uh, that you know we've heard directly from from the mayor about what the police are saying. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if the parents are on drugs and stuff like that, you, you know, you can tell them to take responsibility, but how how are they in a position to be able to do that? Yeah, yeah, it needs to be it needs to be looked at absolutely. You know, and so you know, I mean, people like me sort of look at this situation and go, right, well, Labor appeared, you know, Labor. See, looks clearly looks like they've gone soft on crime. Although when I speak to people. Um, in Labor and ask them about all of this, they list out a whole lot of things about, you know, what the, what they've done, blah, 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 right? Now, CLP are very, uh, you know, are renowned for being tough on crime. We know that. That's at least a perception out there. But, you know, thanks to John Elfrink, and I've got to throw him under a bus here, you know, what happened uh, with the Four Corners program seems to me to have put us back a long, long way. You, you know, because um, there very well may have been people that should have been in jail, but because of what happened with Four Corners and then the whole uh, uh, Royal Commission and all that sort of stuff, um, you, you know, it appears to me as, a, you know, I don't know anything about what goes on in government, but as a resident and just, you know, observing on Facebook and other places and just talking to people, it seems to me that that crime has is, is gone out of control in the suburbs because People are scared to put people in jail. Well, Territorians feel exactly like you do. They are deeply concerned by this, absolutely. And that is why we need to look at it. We can't we can't pretend that things that have been going on are working mm. because if, if people are still telling me every single day that they're still having so many challenges and then it's amplified by what we see on social media, these mm. this isn't... This isn't um, yeah. not real. Like we're not. It's not stories. These are real people with real problems, and it needs to be addressed. And it can't be swept up under the carpet under under political things. Yeah. And have Can you I also? Sorry, Pete. So I just wanted to say um, something that Dave Tolner said last week really hit home with me, and it was when he was talking about um, when the Northern Territory you know, became self-governed and he was talking about all of the money that was thrown at the Territory at that time and that slowly but surely over time um, 
the Northern Territory, and I guess residents of, have become so used to being attached to the public purse that you know the numbers are out of control now in terms of the the generations of people that have never worked, never had a job, constantly assumed that the state will look after them. That that that's got to play a role in all of this. You're looking at me, aren't you? I I haven't um, I haven't met these people that you're talking about that are saying or or it looks like they're used to having that money, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Um, I certainly haven't met those people. I'm not saying they don't exist. I just haven't met them, so I can't comment on that. Um, I mean, as far as being so reliant on the Commonwealth and the federal uh, government and the money there, that's absolutely true. Mm. Uh, we are a small population. We we're not a state, so we do rely heavily. Uh, we haven't yet, and we need to work on bringing new industries here so that we can become more self-sufficient and mm. less reliant on the federal government. But that's going to take a long time, and it it needs it needs a big vision and lots of things working towards that. Mm. And at the moment, we haven't seen that. So, mm. Mm. Uh, what sort of things are needed, MC? So bringing, well, we need to bring industry to, to the Territory. Prime example is uh, if, you know, we need to do some water preservation so we could build some dams, but we're still, we're not there yet. And that's just one example mm. out of lots. So, mm. so one so of the things that we, one of the things that we talk to the, um, the, the uh, politicians about, mm-hmm. um, which seems to be, I don't know, just... Everyone seems to skirt around it. Everyone's too afraid to really sort of deal with, with the issue. But, you know, you know, as a private sector person, mm-hmm. right, the pain and suffering that the private sector has gone through in the last five years. Correct. Right. It has been tough. Uh, and I don't know what what all financial services were doing, but I can tell you as a, as a, as a, as a firm here, you know, we've had to, tr- you know, trim our costs we have to always look at you know who we're hiring you know um can we afford to do this can we afford to do that and working within our budget because we do not get money from the commonwealth Mm -hmm. neither do we get money from the territory government in fact we pay the territory government a lot of money in payroll tax Right. right um but we operate within a very tight budget and uh, and you know very difficult economic circumstances Mm -hmm. We don't see the public service operating under the same parameters. What's your view on that? Well, like you said, I've been in private sector. Mm. So my background is small business and I have not worked for the government before and I haven't worked in any department before. So I, my view is that I would like to uh, be elected and then become more familiar with how that works from a department level and just learn as much as I possibly can about why it is the way it is from public servants and they call them bureaucrats and things like that. Like I really want to, I want to know what it's like in, in a world like that because I don't know that right now. I'm a, I, I'm a private sector, small business person. Right. So, I mean, that, that, is understandable, but it's also a little bit worrying because from a um, private sector perspective, if you moved into a new company, 
um, you'd want time to get to learn the company and, and all that type of thing. But if the company was tanking, uh, if it was, uh, you know, if its costs out, outstripped its, its profit, you wouldn't have a whole lot of time to get comfortable with anything. You'd be in there trying to solve those problems as quickly as possible and make quick decisions. Mm -hmm. What it seems to me that happens in the public service, and I've said this before, there are plenty of public servants that work very hard, that do a great job, right? But unlike the private sector, to effect change in the public service is like turning an oil tanker around. It just seems to take forever. And I don't think that there's the political willpower to make it happen and to to make those hard calls that Jeff Kennett did back in the 90s in Victoria and brought the public service into shape, even though there were riots, there were, you know, protests and the the public sector's uh, union was up in arms and all the rest of it. But they he had the, the internal fortitude to get in there and push it and make it happen. He stood for something. He went right. after it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In and fairness, guess, he did lose government over it too. Right. But, I mean, he was there for a bit. He was there for a while, though, Pete, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was, yeah. It, the one that he lost was completely unexpected. Um, but you're absolutely right. He he turned around a tanking state at the time. Um, but, unfortunately, it was, it was to his own detriment in the end because – the, the ones that uh, would never vote for his party were, were um, you know, vocal enough that the changes he made um, were, were highlighted to everybody at that time and he, he lost the unlosable election. When I talk to some public servants uh, when I'm out and about, what I hear is this. We would love to trim our public service, but it's just so difficult to get rid of people. You know, because there's such a huge convoluted process that they've got to go through. And then even when they do, they become uh, what they call supernumerary or something like that. So they're floaters. And so it's just, it's, you know, and this is what has contributed to our economic circumstance as far as our deficit is concerned. So how are you guys going to fix that? It is, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, if those same public servants didn't have a position today in the Territory, then they would leave the Territory. And right now, the Territory can't afford to lose any more people. So it's it's another reason why Leah Pinocchiaro has come out and made a commitment that in the first four years, she's not going to cut the public service, that they are valued. And they're valued not only in what they do for the public service, but also as a, a resident of the Northern Territory. So we need to find other ways to do that. And and that's they're the things that we've been working on. And we, we haven't released a lot of that yet um, because that'll come in time over the next few months and, and it's a staged process to, to roll that out. But, yeah, that at the moment, it, to go and make those cuts is not a good idea for Territorians. Well, I, I agree is, with that. Is that to do with GST? I, GST relative, relatively relativity, excuse me, does impact, uh, like the population we have is absolutely impacted on that. So I agree with that. It's Um, not just that, it's also everything they spend here as well. But I'm also troubled by it Mm -hmm. because I'm troubled by it because it sounds to me like it's a form of universal basic wage. In other words, we know you're doing nothing in there, but we'll pay you to stay in the territory. Yeah. 
could we use that money in some other way? You, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just putting it out there because it yeah, just and feels and it's wrong. Feedback and and it's, it's, it's good to get your point of view on that. And I think maybe not on a podcast, but if there's other ideas that you have that you can share that we can um, discuss and put forward, I think that's a, a great idea because we really should be taking on board what the business leaders of the Northern Territory know and do in their own businesses and then start to see how we can apply some of that thinking into into the government as well. Mm. So sort of flipping um, topics a little bit, um, you've got this splinter party that's that's happened with um, Territory Alliance, right? Um, that so far, I don't know about you, Pete, but I haven't been able to tell the difference between Territory Alliance and <laughs> in terms of policies. <laughs> so, no, it's, it's a hard one. It's, it's something, yeah, it's something that I guess it, I'm glad you bring it up because, yeah, the way it stands right now, I mean, there's a lot of, you, I'll come back to the, the other thing a bit later, but where where does it all sit? Where does it all sit with Territory Alliance and the CLP? What are the differentiators, do you think? Yeah, the only thing I can say about other parties that are formed is that that happens all the time. And personally, and I'm sure at a, at a party level as well, we're not really worrying about that because what, for me, my focus is making sure that the people that I live in the electorate of Brennan know who I am, know they can talk to me and I can be that conduit between the people that live there and into parliament. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, I, I have honestly not given it much thought at all. Okay. Well, let me, let me talk to you as a voter, right? So if I'm a voter voting on policy, I know there's, a difference, obviously, between Labor and, and CLP. Mm-hmm. At the moment, I can't tell the difference between CLP and Territory Alliance. That's why I'm asking the question. Because sure. if yeah. I'm voting on policy, I want to know, okay, what is Territory, how is Territory Alliance different to CLP and why should I vote for CLP over Territory Alliance? Mm. I, I can't go into that detail because I haven't looked thoroughly at what their policies are and we are still working on and releasing ours as well. So um, I'd love to come back to you and answer that question once I know what both of them are side by side. But at this point in time, I honestly couldn't tell you um, my hand on my heart to be able to let you know what that means. Okay. So, and, and so the election is in August, correct? That's right, yeah. Okay. And uh, so how are you supporting yourself between in, in terms oh, of... Oh, personally, yeah, me? Yeah. yeah so I um, do some consulting work with small businesses. I help them with their digital presence, uh, so social media and some business advice. A lot of small businesses are doing it tough, so try and help them wherever I can. And um, I'm paid for that, obviously. And I also do a few hours a week with the Leukemia Foundation at the moment as well. So I've been doing a lot of work with them. I was helping them anyway, because um, my best friend has uh, leukemia and it's an incurable one. So her and I were doing a lot of fundraising activities together. And then I found out that they, in fact, didn't have a person in Darwin and hadn't for a long time and they'd been looking. So when I chatted with them, I said, well, I've got a few spare hours up my sleeve. How about I come and help? So that's been really helpful as well, personally. Okay. Mm. Pete, have you got any other questions? I thought you had a few there that you wanted to hold back on. Yeah. Um, 
you you said a couple of times, MC, that you can't go into policy stuff at this stage. Is that because you don't have the policies or you can't talk about them? It's all being worked on. So it's all coming, but I, yeah, it's, it's not really at this stage my role to be able to make those sorts of announcements. Okay. Is it, is it unusual that this close to an election that the party wouldn't have the policies released? No, it's not unusual. Don't they normally release it like six weeks beforehand, Pete? Well, I mean, so I guess getting back to your statement before, Leon, mm. the, the issue that I think sits before us is that you've got the Labor Party in power, who, by all accounts, again, not saying this is my personal opinion, but for whatever it is, they're considered to be incompetent. They're considered to be bumbling their way through and they've mismanaged whatever they've mismanaged and the crime rate's out of control and people are looking for an alternative. We've got the CLP who would love to be back in power, but they're a long way off. And we've got this little splinter party who have got themselves, depending on how those numbers pan out, because those sorts of parties tend to fracture a bit as well. But if I'm, if I'm trying to win the election and I know that the people are wanting to get rid of the current mob, surely you want to be out there on the front foot well in advance telling them what it is that you are going to do that's different and isn't the same as what you did last time. Not you personally, MC, but what the CLP did last time. Because as we heard last week with Dave, that mm. still left a stain on things as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dave was pretty honest about that. <laughs> so <laughs> so you've you, you got a situation yeah, yeah. where... Sorry, just you've got a situation yeah. where every opposition in the history of the world comes out and says, we'll do the opposite of what the current mob are doing. But... You know, with all due respect, you guys are so far away with the numbers that I don't think that's going to cut it this time. Well, when you say that, what you mean by the number of people in Parliament right now? Yeah, yep. Right, right. So really, it, there's a few things there, but Leah has come out and made some announcements already, which you may or may not have seen. Uh, there were the three commitments to not sell any public assets for the first four years uh, to keep power prices exactly as they are today so that Territorians have know and have more money in their pocket mm -hmm. rather than try and um, get that money and, and make those changes that are needed to be changed at Power and Water and that there'll be no cuts to the public service as well. So they, they were designed especially from the feedback from Territorians about how they were not happy with those things and they were worried about those things if there was another change. So Leah came out really strong and unapologetically stated those commitments. Then uh, following on from that, we, we had, we've had some trenches of candidates being released, which takes up a lot of the attention as well in, in the space of, of um, what is happening. Um, and, and then, of course, Leah has released the four commitments around, around youth crime. And every time she's released these commitments, she has said, and there's more to come. So 
I'm saying the same thing. There is absolutely more to come. And mm. there six and a half months to go. That's that's still a fair chunk of time to go by. Mm. And how do, they, how do they get these policies costed? Well, that's done by, yeah, the people that are involved in that process. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, you know, as, as a Territorian, I would say that um, for me, I, I totally agree. The youth crime and, and the economy are the two biggest issues. Um, but the debt is also a problem. Yeah. You know, and what, you know, what I'm concerned about is I don't want to see any government, whether it's Labor, Liberal or whatever else, come in and just paper over the, the serious structural issues that we have with our spending. You know, we need to have a grand plan for how we get out of this situation. Otherwise, all we're doing is kicking the tin down the road for our, our children uh, and, and anyone that comes after that. Exactly. And we do need a plan to reduce that debt and to use it much more wisely uh, on income producing assets, you know, wealth generation, rather than uh, just spending for the sake of spending and not having anything to show for it. So one of those examples is rather than the one-off projects that we have is to find projects that have ongoing sustainable work for, for more people. So it's all part of a big picture and there is so many layers to it. It is probably very tricky for anyone that you interview to be able to uh, go through it all, but it, it is being worked on and it will be released in the coming months. Mm-hmm. Well, Pete, um, I don't have any more questions unless you do. Just a statement. Um, <clears throat> just to put it out there, MC, that... Uh, I think you're the first person ever to refer to Leon as a business leader, so he'll thank you for that. <laughs> I, I truly meant that. <laughs> well, I, I also want to make a statement too, and that is um, we are nonpartisan here. We have invited people from all parties. Um, uh, we've had Luke Gosling on here from uh, the ALP. We've had... Uh, uh, Stephen Close, who represents the Territory Alliance, as well as uh, Terry Mills. Uh, we've obviously had yourself now, uh, Claire, uh, uh, Marie Claire, and uh, and uh, and Dave Tolner, obviously former uh, CLP. But I think he, he I don't know if they, uh, they've determined this that that um, seat that he's running for, or he's put his hand up for, have they yet? Fong Lim. Fong Lim. That's now Kylie Banani. Oh, it has been right. So yeah. Dave's out. He's announced on the weekend. That's breaking right. news. Breaking news, right. So, Dave, he may very well end up running as an independent. Who knows? Can I make a statement mm, too? So sure. Everybody else is. Yeah, please. Yeah, go ahead. Um, you are not the only people that have interviewed me. So I'm like you. You, you speak to lots of people. So do I. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we are. We, but I really yeah. appreciate you having me on. Thank yeah. you so much. No, you're very welcome. And thank you for being on the podcast. So all the best. Thank you. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.